This is the Wiser Than Yesterday podcast. Your hosts, Sam Harris and Nicholas Farik, digest the most interesting, informative and topical books, giving you their biggest insights. We expose different perspectives and tools to look at the world to make you wiser than yesterday. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Wiser Than Yesterday podcast. I'm Nico. As usual, I'm joined by my co-host, Sam. And today we're um, starting our adventure in the world of ancient philosophy books with the book, The Last Days of Socrates, which was written by Plato. The book consists of four parts, the Euthrypo, the Apology, Crito, and Phaedo. And Sam and myself, we stumbled upon an audio version, uh, which we listened, which... (laughs) after reading it, only contains the Apology and the Phaedo, so the second part and the fourth part. And so we're going to be discussing those parts in this short episode. So the Last Days of Socrates, the whole book talks about, uh, as the title says, the Last Days of Socrates. So Socrates was uh, put on trial by the city of Athens for heresy and the, what do they call it, the corruption of youth. And so in the first part, so the Euthypro, it talks about the conversation he has with Euthypro right before his trial begins. In the Apology, the second part of the book, he um, basically stands on trial and he talks to the judges. So the, Ath- the Athenians that will be judging him. And so although the name suggests that he's very um, much apologizing for what he did, it's actually not the case, as we'll go more in depth into later. The third part Crito, he um, is imprisoned. So after his apology, he is actually sentenced to death. So he did manage to convince the Athenians. And in the Crito, some of his friends tried to, rele- to release him and break him free from jail so he can flee. And there in that part, he actually says that he doesn't want to flee because it will be unjust. And in the last part, the Phaedo, which we also listened to, he discusses um, the concept of the soul and how it is actually, to call it, it is immortal. So the soul is immortal. So yeah, those are the four parts. Sam, do you have anything to add? Yes. Just when you're talking about like the trial to the judges, I think it's worth mentioning or clarifying that is it like it's got 500 Athenians who are like members of the public, but they're all his judges as in they kind Mm -hmm. of decide it's like a a much bigger version of a jury, but they're actually the judge at the same time. Just because that's like quite different to what we would conceive of as a judge's. So sort of like like Parliament, where you have like all of the people, mm-hmm. <laughs> almost the politicians. <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> this is a good start. Yes, sounding so very yes. smart right now. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> good. Well, this leads nicely into his first argument that wisdom is knowing your lack of wisdom, and uh, yes, I've become aware that I'm not very wise this morning, so yes. I must be at least a little bit wise <laughs> compared yes. to people that aren't aware of these things. Yes, that's nice a, a nice setup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very good. Very good. Yeah. So w- what happens in the apology is that Socrates addresses everything that he's he's convicted of, and and the first point he makes that he's not really convicted of um, heresy and corruption of the youth, but his his first and foremost crime is basically being a pain in the butt of everything everyone in Athens. Mm. Because um, he tells a story of where the, the oracle of Delphi calls him the wisest man on the planet. And Socrates, he says that he doesn't believe the oracle. And he sets out on a path to find someone who is wiser than him. 
to prove the oracle wrong. Mm. And so that is his mission in life, to find people that are wiser than him. And what actually happens is that he finds people that are supposed to be wise, but don't seem to be wise at all. And so in that way, he talks to politicians, he talks to other philosophers, he talks to craftsmen, and he basically steps on their toes and annoys them by proving without a doubt that they are actually not wise at all and they don't know anything of, w- of what they talk about. Mm. Um, and so Socrates says that, that it was his first and foremost crime and that's why everyone doesn't like, him, doesn't like him and that's why he's being put on trial. Yeah, 100%. You can see why uh, Taleb likes him. <laughs> that, that's what yes. he spends his time <laughs> doing. It's like, oh, these people are stupid. These people are stupid as well. <laughs> yes. But I must say the text itself is one big monologue. So it's all Socrates who is talking to a crowd and I must say it's, it's, it's quite impressive how he builds up arguments and how he starts mm. and, and convinces you of, of, of his, like how right he is. Um, yeah. We kind of lied when we said that his first point was this is in technically his first, his first point when he starts his speech is like, Oh, I'm not very good with words. So excuse me if I'm not very good at this. <laughs> and then he just proceeds to be like an absolute genius with every <laughs> yes. piece of thing he says. You know, yes. Yeah, well, I mean, you started with a lie, mate. So, <laughs> otherwise, yeah, he's very convincing, and yeah, it does it does feel like he sort of just does annoy people with how right he is the whole way, and he's just sort of people like kind of know that he's right, but just it does it just challenges what they're like expecting, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. He's just being like unusual, and he's just I think I right, he's more feels like he's accused of being different and not using his wisdom for what everyone else uses their wisdom for. So like just because he refuses to go into politics or business or like try and make money on these things. He just doesn't fit in. And then people kind of want him to be like they are. And so they feel like more justified in their mm-hmm. wisdom of doing the things they're doing. And so it just makes everyone feel kind of crap. And <laughs> he's just guilty mm-hmm. of being like a weirdo, mm-hmm. but also like making people feel like they're doing the wrong thing. And they prefer mm-hmm. to feel like they are doing the right thing. Yeah. It's, I think it's very applicable to today as well, right? People that don't fit in with society are usually judged in a negative way. And when they find good reasoning or good arguments for what they're doing, people get offended. Yeah, yeah. People prefer to try and like make it as it is currently and they get annoyed by things. So sort of why like, yeah, people get annoyed by like if you sort of like a vegetarian or a vegan or something and then they kind of, you make them feel like they're on trial for being a meat eater or something. And you're like, well, it's yes. kind of like there's a good reason for it, but then people kind of get like offended by you mm-hmm. having your views and things. But I have like a, I don't know how well this will work, but I'll try playing this in. But I was using different files for my podcast. And one of them was the speech that just happens to be really relevant for um, this. All right. Yes. Father, I'm guilty. Guilty. Is that what you want to hear? You admit you poisoned the king. No. Of that I'm innocent. I'm guilty of a far more monstrous crime. I'm guilty of being a dwarf. You are not on trial for being a dwarf. Oh, yes I am. I've been on trial for that my entire life. Anyway, (laughs) it just made me like (laughs) people not fitting in and being Mm -hmm. accused of the wrong things the whole Mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. That's super applicable. Uh, Mm. I didn't didn't think of that. So what what we heard was, uh, I don't know which episode... Don't even know oh, which God. season. Yeah, season, yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, his father's still alive, and <laughs> quite a few people still alive at this point. So true. 
Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so it's yeah, it's very applicable. So it was Tyrion. Yeah, Tyrion uh, which was put on trial. Yeah, put on trial for killing Joffrey and high treason by his father. And yeah, he just sort of says actually his whole life he's just been sort of put down because of the fact that he's a dwarf and he doesn't like live up to expectations and people want him to be normal. And he's also the intelligent one that's always being smart and people just get pissed off by him being smart. And yeah. So he's sort of making his defense that like actually <laughs> I have nothing to do with the actual truck like crime, but you just sort of assume it's me because you don't like me. Mm-hmm. No, it's I, I hadn't um thought about this deeper, but it's it's true that it's a concept that happens quite often where people for certain like are disliked for a certain reason, but you cannot be tried for that. Or yeah. it's not like it's not a crime to be Yeah, yeah, it happens way. so much time with like kids and stuff and so yeah. food for things as in where someone is annoying, but you can't you can't punish them for being annoying, but then they get punished extra hard when whenever they do something that is punishable. Mm. And I think this is uh, yeah exactly what's happening to Socrates and in this case to Tyrion as well. Good. <laughs> well, episode yeah, over. No, Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it can relates a bit to well, well, maybe his arguments around being a good influence on the young. Some of these were kind of interesting. And he 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 really at this point. Most of the thing he's just talking about himself, but with this, he really goes on the offensive of just making the other person look like an idiot who accused him of this and sort of claims that he has no clue what a good example is and isn't even one himself and doesn't really know what the point of helping young people is. And then he kind of then moves into sort of just saying that it's a bit of a weird argument when you actually unpack it but the way he says it, it becomes across like great. But basically what he claims is that he isn't intentionally being a bad influence if he is at all. And so if he's not doing it deliberately, then he can't be accused of anything. But you're like, well, if you're being a dick and like you're not intentionally raping people, you've still raped someone, so that would be bad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So it seems like a stupid argument at like the meta level. But like as he says it, it becomes very convincing. You're like, oh, well, yeah, he's, he's a great guy, this guy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, no, but it's uh, that's also something I've noticed. So he 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 takes things quite literal, mm. and he uses that like he takes things to the extreme mm. uh, quite often. And I don't have a good example for this, but like he often builds up arguments like this. Like if this is the case, then in in the extreme example, it will also still be the case. So um, yeah. in that way, I've proved my point. So, something like that. It's uh, mm. I should I should have gotten an example for this. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's a style of, of of talking to people and especially building up arguments. Mm. I think this 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 brings us because the the first part is mostly monologue, so it's almost all the time uh, Socrates talking, and so with there he can build up his own argument. But I think where the the book becomes one more complex, but also more interesting, is when um, in the second part of the book that we listen to, so the the Phaedo, he basically is in his prison cell, and some of his friends come and visit him. And they talk to him about what's going to happen to him, about death, about the soul, etc. And so next to the concepts that they talk about, which is the uh, in immortality of the soul, I think one of the interesting parts of that is, is how Socrates actually builds up arguments with other people there instead of doing it by himself. Mm. And so there, what he does is actually, he doesn't say his opinion at all. So the way he proves a point is by asking people questions the whole time. And he asks people yes, no questions. And when they agree, he builds upon that answer. 
to to go further further in his argumentation. Mm, but yeah, he's very leading with like, well, if you do this, would it not be that you would want to do this? And they go, oh yes, this is what I'm doing. And then, but would it not be the mean that this then is what was, is the case? And you're like, oh dear, yes, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> nice. Yeah. So so he he for example, so the, the people that are there that are that uh, really like him are concerned with the with his soul. So with the soul of Socrates and what will happen to it after death. And and he says, well, don't you think that the soul is immortal? And they're not very sure about that. And so then he starts building up the argument on, on why that is. And I wish that we could do it here, but <laughs> it's it basically takes it takes an hour or a few dozens of pages to build up the whole argument. And so but <laughs> that made it quite difficult to follow, in my opinion. Mm. So as you know, Sam and myself, we listen to books. So we do the, the audio audiobook way. And so the the whole second part of the book that we listen to talks about, well, it's building up arguments. And so it's like Socrates um, asks someone to agree to a certain point. And once they agree, he starts building on top of that. And so he keeps building on previous points, which makes it very difficult to listen to it. Because if you zone out for just a minute, like you can't follow the argument anymore. You miss something very important. And it's like, uh, because they keep referring to, ah, oh, because we've already made, made it so that uh, before someone is born, the soul doesn't, is, isn't created out of nothing, et cetera, et cetera. So it's, it's, it's quite interesting how he builds up arguments, but it's also quite difficult to follow because it starts, like it, it goes on for a very long trail of thought. Mm. It's, it's nice though, when you are following it, <laughs> it's uh, yes. sort of taking on a bit of a journey that I guess it kind of keeps you blind to what's wrong about it. Like, as we were saying, as in, you sort of always feel like it's like the right path, you know, actually kind of you're not aware of all the possibilities that you sort of actually should be considering. You kind of go like, you specifically look at like just the one thing you're saying, you're like, oh, this is always right. And you kind of can, yeah, miss the fact that it's maybe skipping out on some things. But some of the stuff is actually quite useful and makes a lot of sense. And he certainly was a very ahead thinker of his time and follows thoughts and pathways of logic of in terms of like all like the scientific explorations of like how they, Prove theories from like Newton and like Einstein and stuff where they did a lot of stuff just theoretically he sort of he really set up like that kind of thinking which you know okay a lot of the Greek mathematicians and stuff also did in terms of just thought experiments which sort of realizing that actually a lot of the ways people were thinking about them weren't really that correct and just didn't follow their thoughts to the logical conclusion mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. like I said and sometimes he maybe isn't quite right but a lot of the times actually he is thinking of stuff that people should have been thinking about and just get a bit scared by and just happy to delude themselves into being the way they are. But yeah, did you get like what he was saying about all the the, the stuff about form? When he, he first talked about the soul, then he talks about form and like three is both three and it is also odd. So you can kind of call it two things, but it could never be even or you can, can't like admit its opposite form. And But he makes a very long argument about this and it seems like, okay, yeah, I get get that <laughs> but i feel like he was probably trying to teach me something deeper and i'm mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. sure i got what what mm-hmm. the deeper thing was yeah no i must say i didn't fully understand everything except especially in the second part i found it sometimes pretty hard to follow or to get what he was saying or what he was meaning mm. so sorry can't help you there sam okay well not no worries enough. luckily <laughs> i have one other genius insight from the second part so i didn't realize until just now as i was preparing that this is exactly, well, not exactly, but there's so many similarities to Jesus and the Last Supper at this point. 
where Jesus is with his disciples and they all know he's about to be killed and he's sort of telling them how it's okay that he's going to be killed by the Romans that he's trying to help and that he's sort of helping the world and like there's his so Jesus is like this figure who kind of knows everything and is this brilliant person his disciples are aware of how good he is and follow him but they're like they're a bit stupid and like they kind of try to do as he does and then there's everyone else in the world that's just idiots doing the wrong thing and he's trying to change them and like Socrates is here like this genius and he's got like these people with him who sort of believe what he's doing and they're trying to be like him but they're not as good at it and they kind of just they accept every word he says is like there's genius and they love him and then everyone else in the world he's trying to change and they just don't accept him for it and they kill him and it's like it's the exact same scenario basically mm. and you're like oh <laughs> it's the bible story <laughs> yeah yeah so yeah. there you go insight <laughs> The, one of the things that, that that struck me was I found it pretty hard to read the book. When I was reading the book, I didn't really think about it as a book that was written, you know, uh, more than 2,000 years ago. Mm, yeah, I'm not sure it's because of the translation has just made it sort of more acceptable. Yeah. Because so, obviously it was written in a completely different language anyway, whereas if you read like Shakespeare, it sounds sort of Shakespearean. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I, I think I, I, I didn't appreciate the insights. I I, I didn't realize how revolutionary his thoughts were for his time basically mm. so i think if you know what people knew in in ancient athens i think what socrates was saying was groundbreaking yeah, yeah his all his talk about the gods was really interesting as in like of course i believe the gods because everyone believes in the gods but then he sort of talks about like he doesn't accept the gods quite in the same way that they do and they get very mm. annoyed by that he's like well obviously like the god the sun god he's a god but like some of the other gods yeah well maybe but but obviously gods are exist and i love god but then but for us it seems a bit odd the way he's doing mm-hmm. that but he still has like very revolutionary thoughts around the way we should yeah. accept gods and deal with them kind of thing yeah it's true so for me if the book would have been written today um mm. it wouldn't be as good it's just that for his time it was so revolutionary and so interesting and so much different than what people were thinking like you know, and mm. that what, that's what makes this a good book. And I think that's a common theme that we'll see in, in a lot of the uh, very influential philosophy books of the ancients, where the contents itself are not necessarily um, groundbreaking for us as modern people, because we've already been influenced by more modern philosophy, philosophies. Yeah, and science and just knowledge about things. Exactly. And so for us, these might not be groundbreaking, but... Mm. Um, yeah, I mean... <laughs> if it was only like a few hundred years ago that we worked out what gravity was. And then if you think about like, yeah, 3000 years ago, it's sort of a very different scenario and Mm -hmm, yeah, mm -hmm. just killing slaves and having slaves is a totally normal thing. And yeah, women, yeah. (laughs) Things are definitely very different. One thing following on with like the, well, sort of a bit of a random tangent point, but he does claim as well as his like Oracle thing. He also claims a, bit of a, like an inside magic power of that he has he has like an amazing innate voice inside him which he says tells him what to do and people kind of accept that he has this magic power and it basically it stops him from doing things that he shouldn't and he claims that this is one of the reasons why he doesn't go into um trying to make money or politics and stuff because every time he's thought about it it's sort of come and it's told not to but he then goes on to say that part of as his argument his innate voice hasn't come to tell him to stop saying the things he's saying. So he says, I stand by my beliefs and everything I've said because of nothing's telling me to stop. And so it must clearly be the best thing. So he basically makes this argument that like he's got this inner power and it's telling him to do what he's doing right then. So he clearly is doing the right thing, which mm. 
right now would not stand up in a court at all it would sound like okay well maybe you need to go see like a, a therapist or <laughs> clearly got issues but at the time it's sort of it's interesting that you sort of can argue that mm-hmm. and also goes into the messiah like things of having like an inner channel to something of a higher power mm-hmm. yeah what are uh, for you like the main takeaways from uh, reading this i guess i really like the way he constructs arguments and it does teach you a lot about how to be more convincing and and choosing what battles to fight because he that needs to sets up battles that he just likes fighting and like he mm-hmm. just enjoys doing it and i guess he sort of made his decisions and he likes to stick by them which is sort of what he then goes on to sort of discussing a bit more broadly in the second part of like when he's accepting his death and that this is what he wants to do because he has the option to like run away or he could have accepted different charges if he sort of plead for them. Um, but he's like, well, I, I wouldn't want to be in exile because of like, I'm kind of old near the end of my life and I wouldn't do anything useful anyway. I like being here and doing useful things. And to be honest, dying is going to be a more useful example and stuff. So he sort of accepts his death as just like, well, yeah, probably it's fine. I'll be a bit bored outside. And yeah, so I think it's kind of nice to see that he sort of thinks a bit more about he also discusses honor a lot as well and the honor of a man he certainly thinks a lot more about the long term rather than like the short term right now about how he's feeling and i think like honor was certainly like a much bigger thing back then and people did like die for the sake of like their own name and their family's name rather than just sort of running away or being known as like a wuss so he's it's very yeah full of honor and <laughs> pride <laughs> in these things mm-hmm. um and it, it is just interesting the way like I do wonder if we'd ever have heard of him if he didn't accept these things, if he'd gone to trial, if he'd been this person his whole life. Because it, it sounds like he was this amazing human the whole time, but we've only heard about him just because of this this one piece of like that was like worthy of it actually all being written in a book kind of thing. And if he'd just be a nobody otherwise, whereas I feel like maybe back then he caused like a huge stir and he didn't quite get to the level of Jesus, but maybe he was like ninety percent there in terms of the things that he actually did and like the following that he sort of then sort of sparked and the way he kind of changed mm. people's minds and things. And yeah, sort of <laughs> doing like a much bigger act and dying for something is actually demonstrates like skin in the game behind this belief and mm-hmm. actually getting people to kind of follow you and stuff. And it, it's quite mm-hmm. fascinating, like his whole period before in the last few hours of death when he sort of takes the poison and he's sort of like, well, I'm going to be silent and just sort of accept my, <laughs> my death. And he just lies there. Passively, and then it's just like just before he dies, his last words are, "Oh, we we owe a cock to the neighbor, by the way," <laughs> and then that's it. <laughs> and then, then he stops. Then he stops, and and then he just lets out a bit of a scream of pain. Yeah, it was kind of funny the way he was sort of so like honorful and godly in his way of dying, apart from just this random thing. Is like, oh yeah, don't forget this like little debt. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think because you said that uh, we might not have known of him if he didn't die there. I think it's also important to know that Socrates never wrote this stuff down himself. Mm. So all of all, everything we know of him was actually written by uh, his followers. And so in this book uh, was written by Plato. And there are some other accounts of him written by some of his other followers, some important Greeks. So that's important to know. What I personally took away was... I think Socrates is one of the few humans which had a minimal influence of cognitive dissonance on his life. So cognitive dissonance is the possibility by humans to hold into their belief two opposing things. For example, a good example of cognitive dissonance is a picture I saw of a girl 
who was like who just went to the McDonald's and who who posted a picture of her drink and she said like look I didn't take a straw because I care for the environment and so she's sitting in her car and you can see that the car is like this huge huge American pickup truck that uses you know how many how many liters of gas per like super inefficient and so that is you know the cognitive dissonance where she thinks She's doing something good for the environment by not using straws. But then on the other hand, she's using one of the most inefficient cars on the planet. Like, <laughs> what about like Trump claiming he's a, some kind of science super genius and then like a month later being like, so if we inject disinfectant, like we're all going to be saved. <laughs> I think, yeah, I uh, think in this case it would be Trump um, who was denying coronavirus and then a few weeks later saying, but I knew it all along and I was the first one to say. Mm. Uh, we could probably things. go forever on Trump. Idiot things, actually. <laughs> That's, yes. Yeah. Anyway, back to yeah. cognitive dissonance. Well, I mean, the, the, I think the, the, it's interesting. And I think that uh, Socrates is a good um, sign. Like he, he t- tries to take every argument to the extreme. And there it, it's something that we humans, you know, the, it's, it's what cognitive, cognitive dissonance actually doesn't do, you know. With the girl with the straw, if if she thinks, okay, I'm not using a straw because I care for the environment, but this means if I'm doing this, then I shouldn't also be driving this type of car, and I sh- et cetera. And so he takes that to the extreme because he lives in ultimate poverty. Um, he doesn't ask for any money for what he's doing because he only cares about um, justice. And I found it pretty refreshing that someone can be so consistent. Um, and I, 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 I did notice myself thinking more extreme and, and, and taking thoughts and opinions to their logical conclusion and see what influence they have on other things that I might be doing. So that's uh, one other takeaway I took in this. And then, I mean, the main takeaway is still the way he convinces and makes arguments, especially when he's in a conversation or in a discussion where he lets other people discover the facts instead of just, you know, putting them out there. Yeah, yeah. I think he probably, well, probably spent like his entire life getting better at doing that and i think he just yes. like enjoys that and i think he he kind of enjoyed the challenge of like setting himself for that task for the for the trial i think because i think it was like 215 to 240 votes against or something so it was kind of close and i think he was probably kind of happy with that result <laughs> in some ways mm-hmm. um obviously would have liked to have gone better but yeah i think he yeah spent the whole time sort of being like aware that people were being completely wrong and just finding different ways to sort of see if he could get them to believe differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, my girlfriend always tells me this. I, I like to uh, go into discussions and to debate about mm. things. And one of the things I do, especially when I'm at home with my family is I give an opinion, which is usually pretty dramatic or I say something dramatic, which is not necessarily my opinion, but I just want to see their reactions. And then afterwards I try to prove that I'm correct which very often has the opposite effect. So if you start off a discussion with something too dramatic, it's very difficult to get the others to agree with you. And mm. that's something that Socrates doesn't do. You know, He builds it up very slowly and he gets the agreement of his um, conversation partners every step of the way. And that is something I think um, useful to do when you're trying to convince someone of something. Because convincing someone of something is i think one of the hardest things to do uh, because if someone believes um a certain thing proving or well, telling them they're wrong is probably one of the worst things you can do and so getting them to see your point of view which is opposite from theirs is difficult and challenging mm. 
Yeah, definitely. They need to discover it in themselves, as they say, which is a very hard thing to learn. And you kind of, yeah, you get better at it over time of mm-hmm. seeing how it just doesn't help <laughs> telling people that they're wrong and sort of trying to find ways to influence conversations. So it's super useful to study these kind of things. If you, yeah, if you want to go into like law debating, obviously, but just to getting your own way and like having influence of being in a team and getting decisions to go in the direction you want them to, mm. uh, whether it's like your work colleagues or just at home and you're wanting to like change what you're eating for dinner or something, like mm. it's still definitely very different ways that you can do them and vastly mm. different effects. Mm-hmm. Fully agree. All right. Anything else content-wise you want to add? Or shall we go to ratings? Uh, yeah, I think we can go for ratings. All right. Go ahead. I think it was really good. For the time, it was very, very readable. So, And yet also like a lot of insights. The second part was a lot more confusing. But I would say like an eight overall just for... It was really nice to sort of see how things worked and like the way people were thinking at a deeper level. Because I sort of, I've read a lot of Greek sort of things when I was young and just like talking about battles and stuff, but this was much more fascinating to think of. But maybe those things would be quite interesting to go back and read. Like perhaps we should go and read the Odyssey at some point. Um, <laughs> should be on the list of like things to read before you die. But yeah, it was well written, well explained and food for thought. All right. That's well, a high, high score. I'm going to try and compare it to the other books we've been reading this past, these past mm, months, which that. were, <laughs> for <laughs> sorry, man, no going back now, which were, for example, the, the, the series on, of Taleb and, and Elephant in the Brain and stuff. And so I think this is, a, I don't consider this book a must read. I think if you want to go into philosophy and learn more and be able to discuss philosophical thinkers, I think this is, is obviously a must read. So Socrates who has had a huge influence, but one of the points I tried to make earlier is that his influence, he was so influential that whatever you learn now already has his most, like most of his wisdom in, in there. So mm. that's why I found, I found it very interesting and very uh, impressive the way he builds up arguments and he, do, he, he talks about stuff, but I, I, I don't think it's an essential read if you want to just yeah. be a wiser person. I guess I've been a bit unwise with my statement and I was more like, impressed by him than the book perhaps itself Mm. but i Mm. guess it's like it's nice to see how different you can be and how impressive you can be for your time and and stand out so in some ways it's kind of cool yes yeah absolutely i mean i think this is probably this was probably one of the best books ever written uh, at that time you know Mm. whenever this book was written which is somewhere before like 300 bc or something at that time this was probably the best book out there on, on on philosophy yeah however i think today for me personally i i i, doubt, I don't think it's a, it's a must read and so i will give it a five out of ten which is probably horrible from like mm. wonder what because this was from the yeah the list of what nicholas taleb is um yes recommending it as most influential reads yes anyway i'll keep it as it would influence the way you think a bit more in the long term or is that why you gave the rating of being like actually you sort of already influenced from like the modern stuff you're reading and it's just fascinating? Yes, I, I think so. What I would like to do is make a series about philosophical books, which we're starting mm. now. And then in retrospect, 
go through all of them and and say okay these these ones were like the best and most influence and i could see the influence of this book on others and so it could be that uh, let's say in, in in 10 weeks my opinion completely changes because i've noticed what a profound impact socrates had or this book had on on all the following philosophers and so but for now i'm going to stay stick with five sure cool all right so yeah that's it for this episode so i'm just going to open up my podcasting app and look at which book we're currently reading it is called Say Confessions of St. Augustine. Yes. The Confessions of St. Augustine, which is a very long book. And so he lived a few hundred years after Socrates. Anyway, and so that's what's going to happen next week. So see you then. Cheers. Ciao. Thank you for listening to our podcast. As you know, we are doing this to try and help you get smarter. Well, I have another project for podcast listeners just like you who want to be smart. Nico and I learned so much from reading the same things together and discussing them, and I wanted there to be a tool that made it easy for anyone to listen to the same podcasts and books together with their friends. So I'm building the app Syncify, which does just that. It connects you with your friends in the app, listen to the same things at the same time, or create shared playlists and work through them at your own pace. You can share comments and highlights of your favourite bits, and become smarter by seeing what your friends think around the same content that you enjoy. As a bonus, it also helps with your mental health and reduces isolation. Personally, I hate publishing my life on social media, which I find all rather antisocial, and I don't go out of my way to phone a friend for no reason other than the fact I feel lonely. But I do love doing things with other people, and having my friends listen to the same things is, is really awesome. I mean, I used to speak to Nico like once a year before we started this book club together, and now we talk all the time because we're just doing something together. So do yourself a favor and sign up for the Syncify app at syncifyapp.com. And I really hope it helps. Thanks a lot for listening. If you enjoyed the show or learned anything new, be sure to share it with your friends. And I just can't tell you how great it is if you were to happen to leave a review on iTunes. These really do help quite a lot. If you have any questions or books that you'd like us to read, feel free to reach out to us through the website wiserpod.com or reach out to us on LinkedIn. And just keep loving and keep learning and ideally keep listening. Big love from Sam and Nico and the Wiser Than Yesterday podcast. Podcast.